0: And welcome back to another episode of Business Innovation, and I'm your host, Joe Dalton. And today we have a special guest, Alex MacDonald. Alex is an expert in helping organizations identify their inefficiency and solving complex problems. We also dive into the importance of operational excellence, lean, and the unique challenges faced by service and knowledge-based companies. So grab your coffee and enjoy the show.
1: Are you struggling to grow your business? Book a free business growth consultation with Joe today. In this consultation, you'll receive professional advice, step-by-step guidance that will help you achieve success, best practices, and tips for improving profits. Clicking on the link in the description or contacting us directly.
0: Alex, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, Joe, and yourself? I'm very good. Getting through the day-to-day from being a co-founder of the business. As you well know, 20 years in business, probably longer. I would say you're a man that listens to a lot of people and you're a man that can share a lot of knowledge as well. So I want to open up this podcast. One question I'd like to ask you, why did you get into business?
1: Yes, That's the proverbial good question, as a good good interviewee says to to the interviewer. It's actually by accident. I mean, I was a techie for a long time, and indeed, to some extent, an accidental techie, but I was a techie and I was involved in a company that made a very high technology product many years ago called a floppy disk. I'm sure you remember it. A company called Memorex, used to make floppy disks, and, and my role was European tech support manager. So I used to go out with all of these high-flying salespeople with fantastic business accounts to all these exotic places, and, and my job was to try and explain to the customers why they should buy the, the Memorex and I remember one day, in IBM said, "So you're basically saying to me that because your discs are flat, flatter and more black and more square than everybody else's, we should buy yours." And I said to the sales guy, "I said, like, you're onto a losing battle here because the ultimate question was, well, how much are the discs by, you know, by the million or or by the ton?" So they tasked that 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 with me, and just by accident, I started to talk to about what do you do with these discs, right? And it turned out when they bought the disk, it was a bit like buying photocopy paper. What they wanted to do was put stuff on it. And the the complexity of kind of taking a whole warehouse full of black disks that all look the same and putting different versions of software on it and sticking labels on it and serial numbers such that they matched was really difficult. And as it happened, Memoregs were very good at doing that, but, but not software. They they just put a thing called formatting on them. So I went back and said, you know, if you if you offer the service of copying software, you can get 10 times as much money for that disc. Like it's 20 cents as against two quid as it was at the time. And the salespeople thought it was fantastic. We did a business case and the business people thought it was fantastic. And they all decided they would get into it. But the manufacturing people said, we don't want to make anything other than, you know, a warehouse full of black discs. So it died. So they said to me, would you be interested in setting up a business and doing that service for us? And so basically it was great. Memorex sold the service. I went off and worked with a funny enough a label supplier who had said to me, as part of my buying process, you know, I get a tenth of a cent for each label you stick on the disc. Is there anything else you guys are doing there that I could maybe make a few quid out of? So when I said it to him, he said, Well, I put up the money. He said, You have the expertise, Memorex have the market. So that that way that'll all work. So that was really, really how it happened. And we grew that business to, you know, the bones of twenty million quid and 120 people. And sold it off eventually to a print and packaging company um, who, who wanted to get in that end of things. So, So I'm an accidental entrepreneur from that perspective.
0: Well, you know, I don't believe there's such thing as luck. I think there's, you know, being in the right place at the right time. And it was your experience that created that opportunity for you as well. And, you know, we're talking about floppy disks. For those who, we used to also have fax rolls for all those people out <laughs> there. <laughs> you go back to italics now, and we we'll really it- showing our name. Intel, yeah. there was an Intel box years ago as well, which has for a shown our age. But yeah. your business now, you stayed into the technology, and you know, one of, one of your slogans with your technology company is you know, making complex things easier. Yeah. And what is it now that you are specializing in, and who are the people that you're helping? Yeah
1: so so fundamentally i suppose the 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 line that connects all of this is that that i'm fundamentally a problem solver. In fact i'm a bit of a problem junkie. You know it's a bit like somebody being given a a book of crossword puzzles and you kind of sit down and you kind of you know you you go off and solve them. So solving technology problems is relatively straightforward. I mean relatively in the sense that it's 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 you know it's machines they're connected together software is written. But when you when you get to organizations what i discovered when i set up my first business uh, the 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 company that that copied and published so- software is that I had no idea how organizations worked. And, and I was stumbling along. I had come from multinationals, and I thought that's how the world works. And I discovered that, that you only ever work in a piece of an organization. You don't really understand how the organization works as a whole. So that bothered me when I set up my own business. I had venture capitalists on board who were looking for venture capital type information, strategy plans. I'd finance people looking for business plans. And I had to learn that on, on the hoof, you know. So, so since then, you know, what, what has intrigued me is just the complexity of organizations. It could be relatively simple. Um, and really what we spent the last 20 years as a business in expertivity technologies is trying to bring that, that, that simplicity to organizations that become complex. I kind of call it insidious complexity. That the complexity happens, it creeps in because people don't know how to avoid it. And then they, they, they kind of get strangled with, with that complexity.
0: Elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, like, like a simple thing like, you know, business processes. If you have a conversation with well, firstly, we specialize in service and knowledge work sectors, which are probably the most complex. Manufacturing is fairly structured and, and so on. So, so we specialize in service and knowledge work. So the, the challenge there, for example, would be that, 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 that if, as happened with a client, Let's say there's 500 people working in a service of knowledge work, say a bank, insurance company, wherever it might be. When they walk out the door in the evening to go home, the processes walk out the door with them because the processes are kind of all in their head and their methods and stuff like that. But if you do it in a factory, the, the factory stays behind. You know, The machines are still nailed to the floor. So the, the challenge with with, with Service of knowledge works is is how do you how do you get that balance between the the rigor of kind of things like processes and the flexibility and the innovation and the agility of you know that 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 people bring? so so in fact, our name expert expertivity came from that problem of trying to work with knowledge workers who generally always take the view that everything that they do is valuable, regardless of of what kind of uh, rat holes they're 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 chasing you, you know things down. So what we found was that that knowledge workers in particular and service and knowledge workers really valued our expertise they want to invest in it they want to use it. so if you can maximize the amount of time that people use their expertise on, then they're happier, the business is happier customers are happier. The challenge with service and knowledge workers is they're also blessed with ingenuity so they 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 kind of take problems in their stride and and don't really have an enthusiasm or a skill set for fixing them so that they go away. So the same problems keep turning up and people are happy to kind of go, well, I, I, I have a shortcut for that or I found a way to do this. But it's their way. It's not the business's way. The three, um,
0: the three P's are popping up for me as you're talking, and that's yeah. people, processes and product.
1: Yeah. And in fact, when we talk about expertivity technologies, we talk about three technologies. We talk about the digital technology that everybody's familiar with. We talk about management methods as a technology. So operational excellence, lean, all of these these good things are are technologies in their own right. And then processes are technologies. Because if you take the economist's view of technology, it's basically anything that improves productivity. So so if you think of it as kind of a, what I would kind of call the the intelligence stack you know you have the tech stack in a, in a business the, the 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 intelligence stack really is you know if you have people that really know what they're doing then they will develop really good simple processes and then that will enable technology to empower those processes and join them up and, and make work simple often people get that that confused they, they firstly don't invest in the expertise needed to, to be able to design an, an effective and efficient organisation and/or manage it. Um, processes evolve, so they don't never get designed or or, or managed. They they kind of uh, they kind of creep into the business usually by fixing things that are broken. There was a famous guy called Russ Ackoff, who was unfortunately long since dead, but a great systems thinker, and uh, he used to talk about uh, you know the problem is people go around improving things by fixing things that's broken but if you keep fixing things that's broken you don't never ever you don't necessarily ever get what you want yeah Um,
0: we we have it on our website sometimes you're fixing the wrong problems and by fixing the wrong problems you're not really solving the problem you're just fixing something that isn't broke
1: (laughs) well that's that's why I always if anybody ever speaks to me I always say the two words effectiveness and efficiency but I always put effectiveness first because effectiveness is about doing the right things and efficiency is about doing the right things well. Now, the same Rosakoff used to say, if you do the wrong things well, you're only making things worse, but you have the illusion that you're actually making progress, but you're actually making things worse. And that's a big challenge for service and knowledge workers because, because the organization isn't tangible. It isn't transparent. You can't see like, if you set up a machine in a factory in the wrong place and it doesn't feed the next machine, then the process doesn't work. But when you put people into a room, they'll find smart and, use my ingenious word again, ingenious ways to make that work, even though it's not designed. It's almost like by osmosis, we'll make this organization work.
0: You mentioned there as well, Lean, being a technology company. Are you a management structure helping C-suite executives to get the most out of their, their organization? Or are you more technology? I just, just want to clarify.
1: No, it's, it's absolutely the first one. Now, technology is a key part of it. it is, to that, yeah. Those three yeah. pieces of technology, the three technologies. Like many years ago, the manufacturing sector used to use the term islands of automation, right? So they are bits of automation all over the place. What we have today within in service and knowledge work organisations is, is islands of of technology. So you have a CRM system, you have a um, management a, system, an ERP system, or you know a HR system, and then people kind of look at them and say, "Well, like you know, we can't share data, but they were made by you know HR bought their own HR system because they think it's good for them. The salespeople bought their own CRM system because they thought they liked that particular one." manufacturing or not manufacturing but even the back office people bought a case management system because that's their favorite one but nobody ever thought about how does this stuff join up you know
0: so yeah that magic word silo silo yeah so 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 silo
1: like a lot of the stuff we do is is introducing what i would call structured collaboration because when you say to people you're not collaborating they say no no we have loads of meetings right so people are all firefighting and pulling their hair out and shouting at each other and, you know, trying to resolve problems. But it's not structured collaboration. It's not something where we meet every week to kind of look at, well, you know, how does your piece interconnect with me? You're my internal customer, not, not a phrase you often hear used a lot. You know, what can I do to make your job easier? Don't hear the, the, those kind of conversations.
0: A question that's popping up. You mentioned in, in the beginning, Alex, that you're a problem solver. Yeah. When you go into an organization, so you're dealing with companies that are trading in the millions. Yeah. Do you notice that there are the same issues within all these organizations?
1: Yeah, no, there are. And actually, my early days of, of actually, don't call myself a consultant. I prefer to call myself a practitioner. So, so generally what we try and do is bring our expertise to help solve problems, not just write reports, but in my early days of, of moving into that space of trying to advise and help organizations, I thought it was a good idea to go straight to the problem and say, listen, I've I 20 organizations who have this problem. And then people look at you like they, you know, that, that you come off a different planet because what you forget is that, that I've spent 20 years getting to that understanding. And you're trying to get across in five minutes to them you know from where they are headwise down to where you are and that doesn't work so nowadays what i say to people usually is what's your biggest problem you know and i know in my heart and soul that that problem is a symptom not not a not a root cause problem and what will happen then is people will say for example has happened with a government organization we're in danger of being brought to court by the unions by the public sector unions. Um, because we're not getting them paid on time or we're not getting them, you know, the holidays on time, wherever it might be. Uh, and so I said, well, what do you mean? What does that mean in terms of data? And they said, well, if currently we have a backlog of about 14 weeks between the time that somebody applies for something to say I'm on overtime next week until they work the overtime, until they get paid and so on like that, or they go on maternity leave and we, we have to get that down to two or three weeks. And say, okay, so that's your problem, right? So, so let's go off and, uh, and look at that. Um, and then you start to, you know, peel that onion as to how did you get here? What's, what's stopping that? Have you got the capacity? Where are the bottlenecks in the process? And you bring them through that learning exercise. Now, nine times out of 10, we know where that problem is. And actually, to be fair, it fundamentally comes down to just that, that lack of operational excellence, competence in the organization. So people are working really hard with very little operational data using their ingenuity, but they've never really been trained in
0: structured problem solving. Or As a practitioner or a trusted advisor or a consultant, it's been able to ask the right questions. Years of experience gains what questions that needs to be asked.
1: Yeah, and the, the challenge with asking those questions is, because the nature they don't of our want business to
0: give the answers. Is,
1: well, it's it's the nature of the business is that people have asked us to come in and help solve problems. So by definition you're going to point out inefficiencies or things that aren't working in the organization. So our biggest challenge is trying not to embarrass people, frighten people. Like one and I just use a, I won't mention the sector but an organization we were asked to go in by a senior manager to say we have a we have a headcount embargo and uh, but we, we we have this real challenge where we need to release about 25% of our capacity to do this really strategic project that that we need to do. So could you help us release 25% of our capacity to do that? Still, still do what we used to do with the 75%, but free up that 25% to do this. And we said, yeah, sure, let's have a look at the data. Normally, our default assumption would be that, that there's 20% capacity to be released and more organizations to do more more useful things so so as we worked through that we got to 25% 30% 35% 40% and at 50% the lady said could you please stop because it's now getting embarrassing and you know i can't go back to my manager and say that that that's you know that that we together no matter how we 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 um dress it up i've found that that 50% of what we're doing is 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 something we can stop doing in fact, uh, uh, one of my first customers many years ago, he was in an insurance company, head of operations, and he said, Alex, could you please, you know, when you send us those invoices, we're very happy, you do a great job, but, but could we just agree that it's not for telling us to stop doing things? Could you find something more, more empowering? Uh, so, so, yeah, it's a challenge in knowledge work that, that people just end up doing things uh, driven usually by, by other people in the organization. And when you join up the dops, you find that actually they don't really join up at all and they're not really adding much value.
0: Alex, do you find that business model is changing as we go into 2024 as well, especially with AI after coming on board as an assistant in many organizations?
1: Yeah, I mean, the I suppose, and, and this would be of my own kind of um, bias to, to some extent. What I've seen is, is technology badly used in, in many organizations. And, and now what I kind of see is automated technologies. So as you move into AI and, you know, things like that, then you still have those fundamental things that, that are, that are, are, are you know, are, are just broken. So kind of coming back to that, that kind of, um, you know, that, that smart stack again. You know, if the, if the people don't really understand how the organization should work and try and get it to work in that fashion and use processes to, to do that. And I always describe processes a bit like, you know, do you want to be kind of driving your car down a Boreen or do you want to be driving your car down a two or three, three lane highway? You know, because if you've got good business processes, they actually just make it easy to get things done. And uh, people sometimes think processes are red tape. But in reality, they're, 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 that's badly implemented processes and, and probably more accustomed to a bureaucratic kind of approach to we'll write down everything and tell you what to
0: do. Well, as everybody knows me and who listens to many of my shows, I go on and off a lot about system processes and behaviors. Yeah. And to have the right systems and processes in place is yeah. crucial. It's instead of everyone walking into a room and walking around in circles. Yeah. Especially as new people are coming on board or yeah. you're developing that whole new ethos in the company, it speeds yeah. things up and it's measurable. So yeah. you know, if you have them in place and something's not working, you can go, OK, there's a link here. We need to yeah. adjust it and move so we can move forward.
1: But what happens is, and, I, and this doesn't happen consciously, So, but I'm going to use words that sound like somebody does it consciously, that what happens is people get thrown at the problem because people are ultimately flexible. So it's much easier to say to people, well, can you do this instead of that and work around this and work around that because it's going to cost me a hundred grand to, to fix that software application. But what they don't count is that inefficiency that is now being created by Maybe if we go back to my example of the 500 people in the, in the finance organisation, if 500 people are spending 10 or 50%, 15% of their time longer working round around things and 10 or 15%, I can assure you is a modest estimate. Then you're, you know, you're, you're looking at, at, uh, you know, 50, 150 kind of people who are, are almost, you know, you could say spare to the organization, but more importantly. They're, just, they're They're not motivated because they're doing things that really don't make sense. And, and people know that that it doesn't make sense. And it's very demoralizing and frustrating, I think, to be in a place where, you know, you're really being asked to substitute your time, effort and skill and, and expertise rather than fix how the business works, you know.
0: Yeah. And that reflects
1: itself in people leaving, I suppose, at some stage. You know?
0: I wrote a, a newsletter there. It's about meaning, finding mm-hmm. the meaning in our lives. Yeah. You know, Again, we everyone, the big answer that everybody always has is purpose. What is my purpose? And yeah. we have many of them. The goal is for us all to be fulfilled. Yeah. Sometimes if someone is in an organization, as you say, and they're just going in, going through the process, it's eating away at their yeah. meaning. And for those people, and that's where you have the people at the top, the executives, the yeah. team leaders to kind of go, okay, we need to, really have something in place that gives people pride and meaning yeah. in their job so they feel fulfilled in the day that they do yeah. as well would you agree with that
1: absolutely and it's one of the like people often say particularly my colleagues in the manufacturing sector say to me so you're you're doing kind of operational excellence or lean in service and knowledge work god bless you what did you do for, the, for your sins you know uh, and and i kind of say what attracts me to it is the importance that organizations play in society like if you look at all the things you've just spoken about how it influences the people how it inf- influences their 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 psych their well-being their family life because um, we we spend such an, an a huge amount of time in organizations then you have also got the whole thing about the organization in society so you've got how's our healthcare system how's our government run how how does society get things done so so i think Fundamentally, and by the way, seventy percent of the people employed are in service and knowledge work organisations. So the vast majority of of modern economies are driven by by service and knowledge work organisations, and we, as a society, we just haven't cracked how to do this such that people enjoy working in them. It's easy to work in them. We deliver great services and great products, whether it be private sector, whether it be public sector. I mean, anybody who's ever tried to phone a contact centre and speak to a human being actually about their problem. Like, well, no, just dysfunctional, complex organizations have
0: become, you know. So. And this is why I start with, can I speak to a human? Yeah. Um, and as we were looking at something today, my wife said, did you speak to a robot or a human? <laughs> I says, I spoke to a human. How did you know? Because I said I want to speak to a human. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. she goes, well, how do you know? I says, because I was asking them questions yeah. that a robot couldn't answer. So, <laughs>
1: I was working for a client in the insurance business and typical of, of, in fact, it's common in most insurance companies. When you dial um, the the telephone number, you get the usual um, telephone system that says push one for motor, push two for uh, claims, push three for home insurance, whoever it was. And I was working with uh, one of the teams on that and said, why have you got them set down like that? And they said, because it's too complicated to train people in our products to have one person who can just say, yeah, what can I help you with? I'd like to help you with your home insurance. Great. Now I want to help you with your motor insurance. Great. You know, the same person would handle that. But the answer was, it's too complicated uh, to to teach the same people about our four or five products. And I said, but if you're happy to have customers who only do this once a year or twice a year and fill in all these forms on your website and, or talk to people, don't you think there's a problem with your products?
0: And and a company that does will gain the reputation of having a great after service, customer service that will gain more clients. And yeah. like, even when I ring up AIB and they go through one, two, three, four, five, whatever. Yeah. And I kind of go, none of those buttons answered the question that I wanted to ring him out. So I just hit yeah. one of them and then yeah. tell the person and they yeah. go, and I always find if you hit. My card has been stolen. You get someone right <laughs> away who transfers it yeah, yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. We'll get, yeah. <laughs> so you're stuck with trying to game the system. And actually, when we talk
1: about the productivity of, of service and knowledge work organizations, what we often forget about is the productivity of the users. So what's happening now is organizations are, are fixing their own complexity or fixing their own productivity by outsourcing it to you. you know, so you have to navigate the system. Yes. And you could spend hours, as a friend of mine currently is, with a certain bank trying to just get to talk to them about, you know, lodgement that has gone wrong, which isn't standard. So, therefore, it doesn't affect you. There's no button seven for if your lodgement has gone wrong, press button seven.
0: There was an upgrade or there was something. And I, I remember even posting on LinkedIn yeah. that I was on hold. And I deliberately tested it for three hours. So we're working away, and I was on. And I said, "You were number two in the queue." Yeah, you know. Yeah, we've got two people working, but that's Mm -hmm. it. One thing I just want want to just pop back in on. You mentioned lean, and a lot of people might not know what lean is. So can you give us an explanation of what lean is?
1: Yeah. So 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 the the challenge with any of the terms, in particular lean, is it comes with an awful lot of baggage, right? So, so fundamentally, what it, what it is, it's the best way that society has ever found to manage manufacturing businesses, right? It's, it's, it's a combination of things like um, making sure that the organization is designed to minimize the creation of waste, the focus on continuous improvement, and the elimination of waste. It's about empowering people, it's about realizing people's potential. There's a whole bunch of things, a bit like a cake mix, there's a whole bunch of things that, that, that go in there. What happens is that that most people kind of read the, the the summary and they hear about it's eliminating waste, right that is definitely part of it. personally, I prefer the the broader term, which is kind of called operational excellence, which is probably seventy or eighty percent the you know the, 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 the lean methodologies but it's it has, has migrated successfully from the best way you can make things i. e. originally motor cars and now. Most products that are manufactured are manufactured using a, a lean methodology, a management system that is based on lean. It has moved to healthcare, it's moved to finance, but what it hasn't done, and this is much to do with the the incumbents in 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 the service and knowledge work sector who are bringing those techniques across, is it hasn't been adapted to cater for the vagaries of the fact that you have five hundred people who walk out the door every day and then you know when they when they go back in on Friday they walk in with their processes. Like those problems don't exist. So so the technical problem really is that that manufacturing companies are called complicated organizations. They're like big machines. Ultimately all the bits do join up but service and knowledge work organizations are complex organizations. And by complex what what it means is you can't really tell the, the link between cause and effect. You have to kind of be very adaptable very, very focused on experimentation, trying to nudge things along. You can't kind of say, if A, then B, but you have to kind of say, well, if then maybe A or B. So let's let's see how that goes. So it requires a, a different mindset. And because of that need, people kind of poo-poo lean and say, well, it doesn't work. Because it doesn't work if you try and treat your service and knowledge work organization as a complicated machine, because it's not. But you can take the the best practices and, and bring them into the to the service and knowledge work sector to, to make organizations much more effective and efficient a more enjoyable place to work.
0: Well, that brings up a question. What's the best business advice that you have ever received and you would, you feel that would be benefit to other people as well?
1: Well, uh, I had the pleasure of being a senior manager in Dell computers for quite a while, and it was my first exposure to a, well, my, my very first work was in Ericsson's, which was a high performance, very structured, very methodical kind of Swedish organization. And I thought that's how the world worked. Then I went off and worked for a few other ones that were a bit crazier. But as a senior manager in, in Dell, I was exposed to a really high performance organization. And people find it hard to believe. But in that organization, every senior manager, manager of a business unit, you had to produce a, a PL and every day. And you did 63, day, 63 P&Ls for the quarter uh, and and then you know so on for the rest of the year. I think that whole thing about focusing, how are you going to achieve what you want to achieve as an organization day by day? Now it doesn't, that's if you're making computers, it's fine to do it daily. But I've had a couple of conversations with even, you know, software organizations and said, if you, if you have, let's say a plan to make, to turn, to go from 10 million this year to 20 million next year, that's 400K a week. So how can you make and ship 400K's worth of services or products, whatever it might be every week? And when you try and do that, it really on, you know, flushes out from the organization, what are the complexities? What are the bottlenecks? So I think that notion which kind of ties into lean, you know, if, if you have a really streamlined organization, you can get things out every week in a, in a structured fashion, because everybody has to collaborate to do that. You mm-hmm. can't do that just based on the salespeople selling or the, the finance people invoicing, you know, the whole chain of people have got to be synchronized. So I think, you know, wouldn't really call it advice, but it was a kind of a learning that said break things down, try and achieve it every week, try and achieve it every, you know, the same, you know, the the same or, or better every week, and that will help you flush out what are the problems preventing you do that, and then life will be an awful lot easier. You know?
0: Yeah, it's it's like with one one of the companies that I'm connected with, we have we believe that if someone a company wants to say sell five million, yeah, and they are at two look at the five and work backwards
1: yeah exactly yeah that's it and and literally we take it from well if you're going to invoice 400k a week then what's your work in progress you know have you got enough in there to to produce to project manage or whatever it is and and keep going all the way up and ultimately if your constraint is at the market like we don't have a big enough market to to fill that funnel then you have kind of exert you know uh, exerted all the opportunities that you have And you need to have
0: new products or new markets or or whatever it might be. The great question that I ask clients is, okay, if you are with the staff that you have at the moment, what is your max output? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I'd be surprised that many people could answer that question. Yeah. When they get to, you know, ask it, they go, okay, so if we increase your business and many people in each department, you need to hire to grow that. And yeah. you look at you going, oh, yeah. it's no longer bigger <laughs> in there. <laughs> no, absolutely. And actually, if you think about
1: it, it's a concept knowledge as the theory of constraints. If you think of your, your organization as like a garden hose, if there's no kinks in the hose, you know, whatever goes in out of the tap will go out the other end, which is fine. But if you have kinks or your constraints in the process, those constraints are the things that are going to limit it. So you can find, um, like, to give you an example, we worked with an insurance company many years ago. And the CEO who, or the the new CEO who had been appointed from being a salesperson, invested a whole pile of money on front end systems because that's what he had learned from the brokers and so on, where the problem was we need more technology. So he did that and they upped by 500%, I think, the number of proposals that they were winning and flushing through. But in the middle of this were 25 underwriters whose job it was to decide on, will I give you a life insurance policy or whatever. They didn't know what happened and i remember the ceo concerned because he was introduced to a friend he called me one evening at about eight o'clock he said i just want to know what they do the underwriter said just just find out what they do because every time i talk to them they kind of put up this big black cross and a hex that kind of goes if you touch us the business will collapse you know and uh, it was fun working with them and in fact they they grew their their same capacity by 240 percent just by stopping doing certain things and,
0: and, and reversing so, some of the things that they did. It, it's interesting because also you look at someone in an organization that's doing quite well, and because they're doing quite well, they get promoted. Yeah. But because they get promoted, they, they're they not given the skills yeah. to to advance in that new role, and they may find then that they're struggling, there's yeah. issues or whatever, and, I think sometimes organizations forget that if you're moving someone from one to another, you also part of that contractor, the deal yeah. is bringing in someone to train that person yeah. to be more efficient in that role as well.
1: No, it is. And and it's, it's even more challenging than that. I think your clients are probably in the service knowledge work sectors like ourselves. So. A guy called uh, Peter Drucking, one of the famous kind of management gurus wrote, wrote a book many years ago, I think the early seventies called management, but in there, he tells a small parable. I don't think it was his, he was probably repeating it about the, the, oh, very good. <laughs> there you go. The, 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 parable of the, um, the three stone cutters and stonecutter one is asked, you know, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm cutting stones. Like, and he asked the second one, well, you know, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to become the best stone cutter ever in the entire world. And he, that's fine. And he moved on to the third one. And the third one said, you know, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm building a cathedral. And Drucker pointed out that the first and the third are really great assets for an organization because the first person just wants to do the job that they've been asked to do. They're trained, they're an expert in stone cutting. You tell them what to cut, they'll cut it. Somebody else, the third person will design the the cathedral, and, and they'll fill it. So you need the designer, the person with the vision, and you need the person to do a good job. But he said the people in the middle are dangerous because the only thing that they want to do is be better at what they do. They don't care about the cathedral or they don't care about the organization. So so the challenge that particularly service and knowledge work organizations have is, how do you appoint people to management roles where they actually want to be managers, not just a better salesperson or a better marketing person or a, or a better customer service person? So, so so I think you're absolutely right in terms of skilling them, but they also have to want to be better than that. Cause a lot of people are take a promotion because it's more money, more responsibility and, you know, moving up through the ranks,
0: but that's back to our, our,
1: our silo thing. They're happy to move up the silo, but they're not interested in kind of moving across the organization.
0: And that then goes back to meaning as well, because, you know, if you want to be really really good at something you need to put in the time and the effort to be really good so if someone wants to be a great c-suite executive or someone who wants to be brilliant on the floor or someone in accounts or you know they have if they want to be the best they put the time and the effort in that yeah because the best thing that a person can do is invest in themselves and if they invest in themselves the organization as a whole yeah, Priips. Yeah, and and
1: what we fail miserably to do in service, knowledge work, complex organizations, create a path for the people who wants to be a better stone cutter or finance person or whatever, and be promoted without necessarily becoming a you know a manager. But if we're going to appoint managers, then they have to want to be better managers, and they have to want to manage. They have to want to be interested in how the organization works as a whole, and how you manage people, and how you deal with people, and how you develop people.
0: So, so that's the challenge. Well, I'd also would say, being in business, you and me have been in business for decades, and sometimes you look on, you know, sometimes in the past, be nice to just to be an employee. (laughs) Listen, there's there's not a
1: day I don't go to bed kind of thing. What am I what am I doing with this? What am I doing? Which and hence the the back to my colleagues who say so so you're trying to help service and knowledge work organizations be simpler and more effective.
0: God help you, you know. God help you. Um Alex, what book would you recommend for people to read? What's your one of your books? You mentioned Peter Drucker, and I'm a you know, I've read many of his books as well and I yeah. followed his ethos, but yourself what book would you recommend for people to pick up I'm, I'm, I'm
1: i was gonna say unfortunately but probably unfortunately like i have a huge library of books because i spend my entirety and I'm, I'm a pretty good speed reader so i'm pretty good at kind of sorting through like what's the key thing here but there there is one that that i still it's over there in the corner actually at the moment it's called the psychology of organizations right and by what's his name cats uh, Katz, donald cats Katz. and and again, this this kind of comes back to, to my hobby horse about, about the, the, the service and knowledge work. There's a concept known in, in the, the OD, the organization developer side of things, that, that organizations are socio technical systems, right? So they like a sandwich. You have the, the social piece on one side and then you have the technology piece on the other, which is your, your processes and your digital technologies. But in service and knowledge work, it's like 80% the psychology and 20% the the you know the, the processes. And, and because that process link is so process and technology, the hard piece is is, is, so, is so fragile. There isn't enough structure there to, to kind of, you know, keep people on the track of, of kind of just doing simple, sim, sim, simple things. So we always start our conversations with clients to say, listen, the mechanics of this, i.e. The, the technical piece of this is very straightforward. Like I can tell you A to Z how to fix your problems, no big deal. The psychology of this is trying to talk to your people and say, why do you want to bother? Yeah. Uh, and that's very, uh, very true. Trying, trying to create that, that like, you know, the, the change models, people like Coffer and stuff like that talk about urgency and burning platforms. I mean, those kind of things happen once or twice in an organization, unless they're completely dysfunctional. What's really hard, coming back to your meaning thing, is, you know, how do you create a cause in the organization that people want to be a better organization. We worked with a, a client that did clinical trials, and it just happened that that they ended up with about seventy percent of our business was with one very large pharma company. And that large pharma company, when they were renewing the contract, said, "You know, we used to pay you for, you know, having five hundred people on ten trials, and you know, you send in time time sheets, and we we pay you for them. But next year, we're thinking of changing to a model where we only pay you for the outputs, and we pay you for the data you collect." And that organisation was shuddering because that meant they had to be effective and efficient. They couldn't just say we give you twenty people and pay us for twenty people for two years, and uh, you know, and, and things like that. So when the organisation took that problem to about a thousand people in a, in a, the the convention centre in Tampa, took it to them. They were all clinicians. They they cared about people. They they had they were in clinical trials because they they really cared. They as far as they were concerned, being effective and efficient, we're cutting corners. It's not what we want to do. But the the lady who was leading the program put up these two posters on PowerPoint, and one po- poster was a picture of a mother cuddling a um, a child who clearly was going through um, chemo. It was you know it was had a scarf around the head and no hair and stuff like that. And the the team said you know if we could take all the time in the world, she could take ours. And then another one they brought up of a, of a an elderly lady who was clearly recovering from from from. Breast breast cancer, you know, that that said working at the speed of life, her life. So so by 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 making it something that linked with what really mattered to people, you know, that it wasn't about being effective to make more money. It was, well, we can get more trials done. We can serve more patients. We can we can rescue more people then people kind of connected with that. So, so I think the big challenge for organizations is how do you find a reason why 10 people, 50 people, 100, 500, 5,000 people will actually embrace, we actually should be better at doing what we do. And just think how would that affect society if, if healthcare worked like that, if government worked like that, it's, it one, would be a
0: phenomenal change. The one question that comes up, ask. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, ask. And Absolutely. that's the issue that a lot of people presume and they don't ask yeah no, no.
1: Alex so that's the uh, challenge of leadership I think for you know is to, is to make that connection
0: Alex if someone wants to reach out to you from this conversation and find out mo- more about yourself and your organization name a company where people can contact you as well Alex
1: yeah sure our company is expertivity technology so website is expertivity.com You'll find my profile, Alex McDonald, on LinkedIn, very easy to get to. And on my LinkedIn profile, there's a facility there for making an appointment for a no obligation chat. And the, my email is amcdonald at expertivity.com. So welcome to anybody who is interested in just even talking about their problems and happy to share some insights about how they might go about addressing some of the challenges that we've spoken about.
0: And if someone wants to listen to more shows like this as well, you can go to joedalton.ie. Where we have a collection of podcasts and other free material resources that will help you and grow your business as well. Alex, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Gentlemen, thanks a million, Joe. Take care.